And so let's pray. Father, uh, we ask you to prepare our hearts for uh, the Old Testament teaching uh, in the book of Judges. We've completed uh, uh, the book of Joshua. And Lord, uh, we come to this place now. In all reality, there's not a leader. Uh, we know there's going to be 13 judges. And we know, Lord, that the children of Israel are going to become more and more rebellious. And so, Father, speak to us in this area. Uh, speak to our own hearts in the area of rebellion, uh, Lord, that we would see what the Scriptures have to say and to be in obedience uh, to the Scriptures and not to run off and do what I desire to do, uh, but to do what you desire for us to do. And so, Lord, we ask you to go before us now. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, I ask for you to turn with me uh, to the book of uh, Judges. And let's go to chapters 1 and 2. Judges, chapters 1 and 2. And I want you to understand the teaching this morning or this evening. Uh, Joshua passes away. And, and now the judges begin. I want to give you some introduction because it's very important. Uh, the book of Judges covers the historic period uh, of the nation of Israel. From the time of the death of Joshua uh, to the beginning of the kings. This period is considered to be, and there's a discrepancy uh, when you go to the scholars. And so we're going to go in between here. And, and so it's considered to be the period about uh, three to four hundred years. Uh, Jewish tradition tells us that Samuel wrote the book of, of Judges, and there are others that disagree, and so we want to include this. We know that the Holy Spirit is the author of the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit would have led if it's Samuel or somebody else. And so it makes sense that Samuel uh, would have penned uh, the book of Judges because he was the last judge. There are 13 judges that are going to be mentioned uh, in the book of Judges, we will witness and judges the blessings of God. Now listen, when they obeyed, then there will be complacency uh, to God. Then there will be rebellion against God. And then being subject to much oppression from their enemies because of their disobedience to God. We will read this statement uh, in the book of Judges several times. Pay attention. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it almost sounds like the United States of America today, a country that was based upon the foundation of the Word of God. Our whole history starts with the Word of God. And yet look how far we're getting away from the Word of God. Listen to the statement again. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Oh, this is my body. I can do with, with it what I want. What's it your business? That's what we're hearing today. If I don't want to get married and I want to live with somebody, what's it your business? Anyway, it's just a piece of paper. And, you know, we hear statements, well, uh, you know, if I'm a homosexual or if I'm a lesbian, what's it your business? And yet, what about the Word of God? What does the Word of God have to say? And this is what we're hearing in our own country today. I want you to turn to this proverb. Leave a marker there. Go to Proverbs chapter 14 with me. And look at verse 34. When you study the Proverbs. We have approximately 31 Proverbs. 
Yet, we know that Solomon, listen to this, he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. Proverbs are the wisdom of God. God speaking uh, to his people. If Solomon wrote over 3,000, and we only have 31, how important are those 31 Proverbs to us? And again, pertaining to the study in Judges, Proverbs 14, look at verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, I just read out of the New King James, but let me give you the best translation. I learned years ago the word righteousness because not one of us here are righteous. The only reason we have any righteousness is because of God. But basically, righteousness, and here's the translation, right living for God lifts up a nation to God, but sin, which means to miss the mark, to miss the mark with God, is a disgrace, the, road, the, the word reproach. It's a disgrace to any people. This is exactly what happened uh, to the nation of Israel. This is exactly what's happening right now to our United States of America. Radical statements when you think about it. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Again, if you look at the history of the United States of America, we have always been a blessed nation. We have always been victorious in wars. We have always overcome. And it's because we've always put God first. But we're seeing people desperately running from God, declaring there is no God, and doing that which is right in their own eyes. You see, God left us uh, this manual for life. He left us instructions for life. Well, Pastor Bob, that's Old Testament. Uh, which we're, we're even studying tonight. Uh, the Old Testament's pointing to the cross. The animal sacrifices were not sufficient. Jesus becomes the complete Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so we need to uh, come to grips with it. Either we're going to believe what God says, or we're going to do what the children of Israel did, or we're going to do what uh, a lot of the people in the United States are doing. Now, uh, please, don't misunderstand me. There are some great people. There are some God-fearing people in our great country. But it's coming less and less and less. And you're going to see one of the, the things that uh, they, they received the chastisement the children of Israel because they were not training their children in the ways of the Lord. Let's go back to our text now. Real quick, the author of the book of Judges is considered Samuel traditionally. We know uh, that it was the Holy Spirit. The time of the writing, uh, the exact time of the writing, nobody really knows, but it's suggested around 1000 BC. The type of the book, Judges is a historical book. The theme, and this is what one of my commentaries gave, and think about the quote that I just give you. Here's the theme that he gives. Defeat and disappointment. Why? Because of disobedience. Defeat and disappointment. And you can ask, why? Because of disobedience. Why should God bless disobedience? Just the same with us as we have our children. We love them. We cherish them. We want the best for them. 
But when they're disobedient, you cannot reward them. It's impossible. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to create a monster. And there's some monsters in our United States of America. Defeat and disappointment because of disobedience. Now, this is very important. I want you to think of the nation of Israel at this time. One commentary put it perfectly. They're like a yo-yo. They go up and they go down. They go up and they go down. I'll give you the reason why. There are 13 judges that we're going to be looking at. 13 spiritual declines. So that's the going down. And then there has to be 13 going up, 13 revivals. Then there has to be 13 periods of captivity. And then there has to be 13 periods of deliverance from the oppression of their enemies. So this is why when you think about it, it it's uh, the roller coaster effect or it's the yo-yo effect going up and down. Pastor Chuck in his commentary on the book of Judges said this, it is a sad, tragic story of Israel's failure to consistently worship and honor their God. I believe a lot of people go to church on Sunday, and I believe that they worship God on Sunday, but here's the question that I have. How do you live your life uh, the rest of the week? Because, see, Sundays, being in the closed walls of the church, it's fairly easy to call yourself a Christian. But how do we act outside of the walls of the church? That's where your true Christianity is. So Chuck says, it is a sad, tragic story of Israel's failure to constantly or consistently worship and honor their God. Again, what is the key that we have encountered uh, through the book of uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua? We just finished that, and that is obedience. What does God want from us? The same thing he wanted for the children of Israel. The same thing that he wanted uh, from uh, the early church, and that's what we're studying on Sunday mornings in the book of Acts. God wants obedience. You know, through the years I've had people say, Pastor Bob, I read the Bible. Great. And then they say, well, what do I do now? What do you do now? <laughs> what did you get out of it? Are you obeying what it says? And see, so, so we think it's a novel, and we, uh, we want to just read through it. There has to be uh, interpretation, and then there has to be application. What is God saying to me? What is God speaking uh, to my heart? And so now we come into the book of Ju Judges, that is, and we want to begin here in chapter 1. And basically, it's the continuing, continuing cons conquest of Cana. Now, when you get into the Judges, it's not going to be in chronological order. There's times that he's going to revert back uh, to Judges, uh, to, to Joshua, that is. And so we're going to kind of mention that. If you have a, a study Bible, the caption in my Bible uh, says Joshua chapter 15, verses 13 through 19. And so it's not in total order. So let's begin here in verse 1, uh, Judges chapter 1. Now, after the death of Joshua... It came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? So Joshua's not in the picture. Joshua's, uh, you know, the life of Joshua's closed. 
Uh, we know that the land was not all conquered. We mentioned that when we were going through Joshua. They still have uh, to, they have to drive out some of the people in the promised land. And so how did they come up with that Judah was going to be the spokesman? Uh, there's a strong possibility, and I'm going to give it to you. When you study the appearance of a high priest, and you understand the way he looks, I want you to think of the breastplate. Uh, there was the 12 stones in the breastplate. It covered the chest area. And we had the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. In the back of the 12 stones, there was a pouch. And in that pouch uh, was considered uh, two stones, uh, the Urim and the Thummim. And these two stones were considered uh, to be a dark stone and a light stone. Now, this is a lot of uh, tradition, but it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the actual translation, uh, the, the, the human and the thum, human, uh, urim and the thumen, is lights and perfection. And so in those two stones, they said that the priest would manipulate them by obviously can't look into the pouch, and then he would draw one out. And one of them uh, was a yes, being the light color, I would suggest. And the other one was a no, being the darker color. And so they would have had to gone through uh, all of the tribes. And when they came to the tribe of Judah, there was a yes. And so that's the speculation here. And so Judah would have been uh, the one uh, called to be the leader, called to be the charge here. In verse 2, and it says, And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the, the land into his hand. And so God gave the permission. Judah has received uh, as an inheritance the land south of Jerusalem. Uh, God spoke, I will give it to Judah. At this time, Judah's the leader. So Judah said uh, to Simeon, his brother, come up with me uh, to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Simeon's land was south of Judah towards Beersheba. But I want to mention this to you. Already we see a form of disobedience. God said that he appointed Judah. Didn't say that he appointed Simeon. But either way, God allowed it to take place. Notice now in verse uh, 4, Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed, listen to the victory, 10,000 men at Bezek. God gave them the victory over their enemies. The fact that it's mentioning 10,000 men, this is the army that was destroyed. That was not the size of the city. So the city had to be much bigger, and so it had to be been a good-sized city, and yet God's given them the victory. Why? Because of obedience, but it's, it's going to fall as we continue to go. Look at verse 5. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Both of the lands are being conquered now. Then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him, and they caught him. Now pick up on this, and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Now the word Adonai is the meaning Lord. So he's the Lord of Bezek, or the king of Bezek. 
Cutting off the thumbs uh, took away their power. I want you to think of the weaponry that they would use. I'm sure by practicing, they would somehow be able to uh, shoot a bow and an arrow. But they would not be as effective as they were. Think about without a thumb, handling a sword. Think about it without a thumb, handling a spear. And in the other hand, a shield. And so it takes away uh, your ability. And then what if they were oarsmen? Uh, how would they be able to do that? And so why the toes? Because they had to uh, stop him from any kind of departure. And uh, I can't imagine walking. I can't imagine running. And you have no toes. Or you don't have no big toe. That's your balance. That's your balance. Now, uh, I've tried this before. And I want you to go home and try it. Just kind of cup your thumb and then try to pick up a glass of water. Cup your thumb and try to pick up a cup of coffee. I mean, there's so much that we use this thumb for, not to mention hitchhiking, right? But we need these, so think about that. And so you say, well, this is kind of cruel. This is the culture at the time. There was another thing that a commentary mentioned. Not having thumbs and not having big toes would remove you from any kind of religious office or any kind of political office because it, that would be considered that you are maimed. Again, you got to think of the culture. And I think we get the answer in verse 7. Look at verse 7. And Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings, he's given testimony, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes were cut off, used to gather scraps under my table, as I have done. So he had done this to others. So God has repaid me. Listen to his testimony. Then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. I want you to think of what he did. And it was payback time. There are some principles here that we have to understand. Uh, if you're taking notes in the book of Galatians, there's a principle of sowing and reaping. This man obviously sowed into the flesh, and it caught up to him. The principle of sowing and reaping. Another one is found in Matthew uh, chapter 7. Uh, judge not lest you be judged. And by the same judgment, you're going to be judged. I mean, he cut off uh, the toes and the big toes and, 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 the, and the thumbs of 70 other kings. So uh, here's the payback, if you may. Look at verse 8 now. Uh, the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set up the city on fire. We shared this when we were in the book of Joshua. Jerusalem did not belong to Israel. Now they took it. But I want you to keep this in mind as we continue. They did not remove all the Jebusites. And the Jebusites are going to come back and, you know, bite them, basically. They didn't get rid of the flesh. It's not until we get into the kings, and we're going to see King David, that he completely takes and defeats the Jebusites, and they take over Jerusalem. And again, Jerusalem belongs to God. In verse 9, And afterward, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites, who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowlands. The victories in God 
because of obedience. But it's going to be short-lived. It's going to be short-lived. Then Judah went against the Canaanites uh, who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kirjath Arba, and they killed uh, Shishai and Ahiman and Telmai. From there, they went against the inhabitants of Debir. Uh, the name of Debir was formerly Kirjath Sefer. Caleb comes back into the picture. Then Caleb said, Whosoever attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give my daughter Akasa as a wife. Now, this was very customary. You couldn't just take a wife. Uh, you had to have a dowry for her. And because of her, her husband left her, she has to have something. We've shared this before. Uh, women in the Old Testament had no rights. And so she would have nothing. She would be left with nothing. And so Caleb sets this up. Whoever takes the, the victory can have uh, my daughter. In verse 13, and Ethniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, translation of brother is probably better nephew because you can use both, he both words in the Hebrew. Uh, he took it. So he gave him his daughter, Akas, as a wife. Now it happened when she came to him. Look at the logic of this woman that she urged him to ask her father, which is Caleb, for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey. And Caleb said to her, what is it that you wish? Now, he's a dad. Uh, he wants to take care of his daughter. And Athenial didn't go and ask. But again, Caleb knows his own flesh. So she said to him, give me a blessing. I mean, she's doing everything perfectly according to the culture of the land. Uh, since you've given me land in the south now, uh, give me also a springs of water. And Caleb gave her upper springs and lower springs. Uh, I looked at this girl, and I says, you know, she's got, she's got something going for her upstairs. She's very shrewd. Now, she's Caleb's daughter, and Caleb's going to take care of his own. And so he wants to make sure that she's taken care of. Now watch as we get into verse 16. Now the children of the Kenite, this was a group of people. Moses' father-in-law was a Kenite, went up from the city of the Palms uh, with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and they dwelt among the people. These people were considered uh, desert nomads. And this uh, Moses' father-in-law would have been Jethro. And so the Kenites uh, would have been these, these people that knew about water techniques, knew where to find water in the desert. And they also were goat herders. And so uh, everything plays into this issue. And in verse 17, and Judah went with his brother Simeon, so it kind of goes back, and they attacked the Canaanites, and the inhabitants of Zephyr utterly uh, destroyed it. And so the name of that city was called Hormah. Also Judah took Gaza 
uh, with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. These were Philistine cities. And so God gave them uh, the victory. So the Lord was with Judah. That's what I want God uh, to say about me. I hope you want God to say that about you, that God is with you. The promises of God, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But in the time of the Old Testament, there was so much disobedience. And God was still going to bless. God would still keep his covenant. But you would also bring some judgments upon yourself. Again, Galatians chapter 6, the principles of sowing and reaping. And so the Lord was with Judah. And they drove out the mountaineers. But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowlands because they had chariots of iron. Now, when you first read that, you say, well, they have chariots of, of iron. They have the best weaponry at this time. For our understanding, this would be tanks. You have to have tanks in, you know, in military warfare, or you're not going to be successful. But I want you to remember that God gave them the promise. I'm going to give you this land. But I believe that fear sets in. And the problem is just like us. We see the giants in the land. We see the walled cities in the land. And we see the problem, but we forget about the blessings of God. Bob, step forward. I want to bless you. Bob, take that land. I want to bless you. And he says the same thing to you. But I see uh, the chariots uh, with iron, and uh, my faith becomes diminished. Fear sets in. And the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is not of God. Fear is of the enemy. And so I want you to see the factor here. It says here, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowlands, and they gave the response because they had the chariots of iron. That was not the problem. That was not the problem. Look at verse 20. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said. Then he expelled uh, from there the three sons of Anak. I'm glad that this was included, because this, these Anaks were the Anakims, which were the giants in the land. And so here's a good uh, interpretation. Joshua didn't see the giants, or uh, as we read here, Caleb didn't see the giants. He saw the victory in God. And so many times we look at the circumstance, and we're already defeated. Oh, you know, they have iron chariots. Oh, these are giants, and we're not going to be able to be successful. Wait a minute. What did God say to you? In verse 21, and the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. And so the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Again, here's a side note. Judah did not take all that belonged to him. The Jebusites stayed there. And we know that they're not removed until the time of King David. And in verse 22, And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. The Lord was with them. And so we're going to see the different tribes that are going up now. We saw uh, Judah. We saw Simeon. 
But if we're in disobedience, uh, why should God bless? That's what we're trying to uh, get the point across. And so the house, verse 23, the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. Uh, the name of the city was formerly uh, Luz. Now this would have been Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, please show us the entrance to the city and we will show you mercy. Many times in the time of the Old Testament, uh, the cities were walled. The cities were fortified. But there was always an entrance. Listen to this. The commodity of water is very important. And so they saw this man, and they asked this man, where is the secret place? Where is the secret entrance? Show me, and I will spare you, and I will bless you. It's like the city of Jericho when you think about it. Rahab had to trust the two spies. And we know that God spared uh, Rahab and her family. And so here's this guy. So he showed them, look at verse 25, the entrance of the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went uh, to the land of the Hittites. He built a, a city there, and he called, it, he called the name of it Luz, uh, which is uh, its name to this day. I want you to think of who is supposed to be in obedience supposed to be the children of Israel. And, and yet here's a, a, a you know, a, a pagan, a heathen, but because they approached him and he thought about it, the same with Rahab, hide me. And she did. And they put that scarlet thread. The walls of Jericho came down except the house of Rahab. A little obedience, listen to this church, goes a long way. A little obedience goes a long way. And so some of you that have been Christians for a, a long time, you know when you come to that place where you're disobedient, all of a sudden things are just not going right. And then you ask the question, Lord, what's going on? What's wrong here, Lord? Then you start to evaluate. And you recognize, you realize that you're in disobedience. And so then you backtrack. You confess the sin, whatever it might be. And you ask for forgiveness. God restores you. And God desires to use you again. And then all of a sudden you're back into obedience. And guess what? The blessings begin to come. I've been there, church. Some of you, I know your testimonies. You've been there also. To obey God is better than sacrifice, Samuel said. And so many times we, uh, well, you know, this, this one's not important. Yes, it is. God gives you the rules, the regulation. God gives you the law. And we're called to obey. We're called to obey. And so this is what we're seeing here. And uh, uh, the capacity of water is so important in the Middle East, and this guy showed them the way. It was a hidden, secret compartment, if you may. But as we get into verse 27, the caption of my Bible says, 
incomplete conquest of the land. It's a sad commentary. Because the children of Israel were always considered a stiff-necked people. They were always considered a rebellious people. Uh, even Moses himself rebelled. And so none of us are exempt. God wants us to obey him, and he'll give you the victories. He'll give you the victories. And, you know, some people will respond, well, Pastor Bob, uh, what if I have cancer? What if I have a deadly disease? What if, uh, you know, I'm a strong Christian, and I work in the medical field, and God forbid, but this new uh, virus of Ebola, and I catch it. And then I die, but yet I was obedient to the Lord. Aren't you with the Lord now? To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, God has a plan for me, and he has a plan for you. I mean, I don't want to catch a virus. I don't think you want to catch it, and we're not out there looking for it. But what happens? What happens? My, I'm really concerned about, you know, our military from Fort Bliss, that they're going to Africa. We need to pray for them. We're going to put it in the bulletin. We need to really pray for them. And then I think of their families. But these guys are, are you know, they're, they're military. They're in obedience. They obey the commands. And I know in the back of their mind, they think, well, I could come back. Yes, you could. But we need to pray for them. But God desires obedience more than sacrifice. In verse 27, however, Manasseh uh, did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen and its village, or uh, Tanakh and its villages, uh, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblaim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the, in the land. Now, those of you that have gone to Israel, Beth Sheen is a beautiful place. They've done tremendous in, uh, excavations, and they have found beautiful city there. But because of their disobedience, at this time they were not victorious. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, watch what takes place here. Uh, they become, some of them, forced labor. In verse 28, and it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute. The word tribute in the Hebrew is called forced labor, but did not completely drive them out. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. And so the Canaanites dwell in Gezer among them. Joshua warned about this. When God gives a command, it's the same with us. You know, we're not called to go conquer a people. But we are called to conquer our flesh. And if we don't conquer all of our flesh, your flesh nature is going to come back and bite you. We have that tendency. When God said in the Old Testament, utterly destroy them, there was a reason, there was a purpose. But if you kept a few mementos, it would catch up to you. And so... I'm just as guilty as you. I give God everything, but I have a tendency to keep certain flesh things. You have a tendency to keep a certain flesh things. 
they will catch up to you. And so Joshua warned that this was going to come to pass. And so now we begin to go to the, through the rest of the tribe, uh, of the 12 tribes of Israel. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nashol. And it says, so the Canaanites uh, dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Again, forced labor. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Ahaleb or Akezeb and Helba and Ahipek and Rehob. I love those names. In verse 32, so the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, uh, the inhabitants of the land, and they did not drive them all out. And again, I have to emphasize it. It is so sad. It's called the old man nature. It's called the old woman nature. Because in Romans chapter 7, uh, it, it tells us that we have to destroy that flesh. And like it or not, until we get to heaven, there's going to be a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And I tell you, as I get older in the Lord, I can honestly tell you, there's a constant battle. There's a constant battle when I'm putting a study together. There's a constant battle when I'm preparing for Sunday morning, I'm preparing for Wednesday night. There's a constant battle. And the way I have learned to conquer the battles, because I'm trying to study, I have to have Christian music playing. Usually I have headphones on. And some people say, well, how do you concentrate? Trust me, that works for me. And whatever works for you, you have to bind that enemy because he's going to pursue. He's not going to stop. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 and study how Eve fell. First of all, she dialogued with the enemy. And ladies, again, remember, uh, he wasn't cursed yet. The serpent was not on the ground. The serpent was upright. The serpent was a creation of God. He was a beautiful creation of God. Or else she wouldn't have been talking to him. It wasn't until the curse came. And he became the snake, the serpent on the ground. And he slithered the rest of the time. So God wants us to give that flesh over, be it a man, be it a woman. And sometimes it's easier said than done. And sometimes, listen to this, we have to be like Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. And when Potiphar's wife wanted to lie with him, he ran naked, the Bible says. He took off. He was not going to sin against his God. Listen to this. And he was not going to sin against Potiphar, his master. Joseph was an upright man. Look at verse 33. Nor did Naphtali, another one of the tribes, uh, drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. But they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath uh, were put under tribute uh, to them. They were made into forced labor. But they were supposed to remove them. They were supposed to discard them. They were supposed to get rid of them. And then again in verse 34, And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains. Dan is one of the twelve tribes. This is God's people. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains 
for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. There was no victory. Dan was the worst. Dan ran. The tribe of Dan did not put up a fight. Well, we're too small, we're too, you know, we're not good fighters, we're not like the Benjamites. And listen, God said, take the victory. Remember 2 Chronicles, never forget it. Chapter 20, I believe it's in verse 15. When Jehoshaphat looks up and he sees the great battle before him, and he cries out to the Lord, we're not going to win. And the, the Lord spoke to Jehoshaphat. The battle is not yours, but the battle belongs to the Lord. All through the years, how many times that comes to my, uh, to my memory. That comes to my heart. The battle is not yours, but the battle belongs to the Lord. You need to grab a hold of those scriptures. That's why it's important to know scripture. Notice in uh, verse 36. Now the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of our, our, our anyway, you can see it yourself, from Sela and upward. Again, I have to emphasize this. I know Scott taught it on Sunday for two Sundays, and that's Romans chapter 7. Uh, the flesh and the spirit. There's a constant battle. Now, it's often been asked, which one is going to succeed? And the answer is, the one you feed the most. The one you feed the most is going to be the successful one. Notice, we come into Judges chapter 2 now. And the caption of my Bible, what we've been kind of touching on, Israel's disobedience. God sends an angel to speak to them. Scholars believe this is the angel of the Lord. This is Jesus. It's called a Christophany in the time of the Old Testament. There was often times when he would appear. Listen to this, because he speaks of himself as in the first person. Then the angel of the Lord came up uh, from Gilgal uh, to Bochem and said, I led you up from Egypt and I brought you uh, to the land which I swore uh, to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant. He's talking first person. This is why I believe it's the Lord. I'm the one that gave you the victories. I'm the one that gave you the, uh, the deliverances. He says, I will never break my covenant with you. The promises of God are sure. In verse 2, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. That's the constant battle with the nation of Israel. But you have not obeyed my voice. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? I want you to see the importance that's being done here. This is the angel of the Lord. This is Messiah in the Old Testament. He's speaking as he is God. In verse 3, therefore, I, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side. 
That's the principle of sowing and reaping. This what you want? You want to disobey? Then you're going to bring judgment on yourself. And their gods, listen, small g, shall be a snare to you. How many times have we shared people in hell today, listen, people in hell today cannot blame God. They cannot blame God. They might try to blame God, but at this point now they know they were disobedient. They knew that they had plenty of opportunity. They could have gone the other way and served the true and the living God. Notice he says, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. When we get to the kings, and when we study King Solomon, that king had so many altars to foreign gods. When the children of Israel were busted for their sin nature, they took the next step in verse 4. And, and I'm not against, you know, crying. I'm not against weeping. Uh, the Jews are notorious to tear their clothes. The Jews are notorious to put sackcloth and ashes. Uh, the Jews are notorious to, to get the ashes and to throw them on themselves. Woe is me. But is there true repentance? Or are you just following the ritual, the rite, the custom, tradition? Listen to verse 4 now. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and they wept and they wept and they wept. The first time I went to a, a Pentecostal church, uh, it was a, probably half of the size of our building. And uh, it was some, um, some old pews. But we were listening to the message. Remember, I told you I was always looking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so in the front of the, uh, of the altar area, uh, there were some pews right here, but without backs. So it was just a little bench. And it was a real nice bench. And it was made out of, you know, cloth and such. And then there was another one over here. And then I noticed a, a box of Kleenex. And so I said, what's that all about? I'd never seen that. Well, at the end of the service, they call you up to come and repent. And I'll tell you what, I became a little scared because I heard some weeping. I heard some crying. I heard some yelling. And then I heard some pounding. And I go, oh, my gosh. They think God is deaf. <laughs> and all they had to do was to repent. To repent. See, I wasn't accustomed to that. I understand that there's people that have to do that. But what if you do all the different antics? What if you go through that whole box of Kleenex and go, Pastor, give me another box. And you don't repent. That's the key. That's the key now. Look at, in verse 4, uh, so it was when the angel of the Lord had spoke these words to all the children of Israel uh, that the people lifted up their voices and they wept, and then they called the name of that place Bochem. We read that earlier, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. The word Bochem in the Hebrew, it means weepers. Remember we shared 
especially in the New Testament, and they used it in the Old Testament, uh, they would hire professional mourners. So Mr. Jones dies, right? And if your name is Mr. Jones, I'm not prophesying, okay? Mr. Jones dies, but nobody liked him. But Mr. Jones has money. And so his wife goes out, and she hires professional mourners. And so they come, and they weep, and they wail. And, and somebody goes, man, they really like Mr. Jones. No, she paid him off. Professional weepers. Now, if you're truly repenting, praise God. But the children of Israel were constantly, constantly doing this faction, but they did not change. It's the heart that needs to change. It's the heart that needs to change. And so they named that place Bochem, which means the place of weepers. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, so Joshua comes back into the picture. Chronological order is not there because he's already dead. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each uh, to his own inheritance and to possess the land. Now, again, we go out of chronological order, Joshua chapter 24, the death of Joshua. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, uh, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done uh, for Israel. And so we're seeing what happened during the time of Joshua. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, verse 8, and the servant of the Lord died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him with his, uh, within the border of his inheritance at Timeth Heres, uh, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gahash. When all that generation had been gathered to their forefathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord. Listen to what it says. Who did not know the Lord nor the work or the works which he had done for Israel. When you come to verse 10, here's where we see the breakdown. Remember that first generation that came out of Egypt? They were not allowed into the promised land, and their bones were strewn throughout. And so the next generation was able to cross the Jordan. But now that generation has gone into disobedience. You know, it's interesting because God has the ways of dealing with people's hearts. Again, uh, I venture to say that everybody in our United States of America, we have a Bible. We have a Bible in our house, if not one, if not two, but we have a Bible in the house. And if we don't have one, we, we can definitely get one. I mean, who doesn't know about the Coaz bookstore over here? It's the used bookstore, and they have Bibles there. And they'll be glad to sell you one pretty cheap. Well, who doesn't know that if you don't have a Bible, just go into a church and ask, can I have a Bible? They'll give you one. And so we have access in our United States of America. And so as we read, there has to be application. What happened? This would be considered the third generation. What's happened? There's a meltdown, listen, religiously. There's a meltdown spiritually. 
how important it is. We're seeing this in our United States of America now. Here is where the breakdown begins. The parents failed to instruct their families on the power of God and the works of God, the faithfulness of God. And again, if we do our part, God's going to do his part. And so I want you to think about it. The children of Israel, they knew that they were supposed to instruct the youngsters. Dad, tell me that story again. We were over 400 years in bondage in Egypt. Tell me that story again when we left Egypt. Tell me that story when uh, the Egyptian army was coming. Tell me that story when uh, the Red Sea parted. Tell me the story when the pillar of fire held back the Egyptians. And when the Egyptians finally came after us and we had already crossed, and tell me how God closed them. How are your kids going to learn? How are your kids going to learn? You know, we have them here at the chapel. Maximum two hours. And a lot of that is play time. A lot of that is snack time. How much of the Word of God? Uh, and they are getting the Word of God. I, I love what our teachers do. But the full bulk of the Word of God is at home. Are you praying with them? Are they seeing you read your Bible? While Mary and I were traveling in the East Coast, we saw, uh, we saw a man that was reading his Bible uh, to two of his children. It just blessed us. You don't see that all the time. You just don't see that all the time. Now, in verse 11, begins to show you what happened in the breakdown. Israel's unfaithfulness, failure of dads, failure of moms to lead the family of God. In verse 11, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals or the Baals. Now, if you're taking notes, basically there were three gods, small g, that the children of Israel served. Number one, Baal worship, B-A-A-B-A-A-L. And it's the, the god of the intellect, it's the god of philosophy. The second god that they served was Mammon. And that's the God of finances, the God of money, the God of power. And, and then we have Molech worship. And that's the sexual worship. And that's the pleasure God. And, and so through that, you're going to see as we continue in the Old Testament, there's a lot of different variations of the gods that spun off of these. But this was the mainstream. In verse 12, and they forsook the Lord, uh, the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods, small g, from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. God will not share his glory with anybody. And they forsook the Lord, verse 13, and they served Baal and Asherah. Asherah was a female goddess. She was considered, uh, some say, the moon goddess. We're not sure, uh, but that they offered incense unto her and such. In verse 14, and the anger of the Lord was, was hot against Israel. And so he delivered them into the hands of, of the plunders who, who despoiled them. 
and he sold them into the lands of their enemies all around, and that they could not no longer stand before their enemies. I want you to write down these two chapters. You know them. We went through them. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, if you don't obey God, the curses are going to follow. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you obey God, the blessings are going to follow. In verse 15, wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. And the Lord had said, and, and the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Judgments came upon them. Their crops, their herds. You know, God would send hail. God would send destruction because they were serving the foreign gods. Nevertheless, verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them, and that's what we're going to be studying. It delivered them out of the hand of those uh, who plundered them. There will be a total of 13 judges. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods, small g, and they bowed down to them, and they turned quickly uh, from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. This is so sad when you read it. But this was the nation of Israel. Let's finish it up because we're way over time. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand uh, of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity uh, by their groaning because uh, of those who oppressed them and harassed them. They were still God's people. And he cared for them. He loved them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead. There's 13, okay? So when one would die, that they reverted and they behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods. Remember when we were in school? Oh, teach her this, teach her that. But as soon as she left the room, was I the only one? Okay. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. The flesh kicks in. They followed other gods to serve them, to bow down to them, and they did not cease from their own doing, nor from their own stubborn way, their own rebellious way. And that basically is the flesh nature of man. And so the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, uh, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left uh, when he died. And so uh, that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord uh, to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out, and immediately, uh, he says, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. And so, again, we would revert back to Joshua, a little bit of not chronological order, but understanding, and then we're going to get into the, uh, the judges themselves. But not all the judges were good either. And again, they did that which was right in their own eyes. And yet God, still the apple of his eye, the nation of Israel still to this day, still to this day, 